Warning, this case discusses murder and dismemberment. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 123. Today, I will be talking about the murder of a young mother who had been trying to turn her life around. My sources for today's episode are an episode of Homicide Hunter, American Detective, Season 3, Episode 1, titled Body Parts, Murderpedia, Investigationdiscovery.com, OneNationJustice.com, WYFF4.com, and PostandCurrier.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. April 7th started off as any normal day on day shift and I heard the call go out when I met Officer Odom, he had a bag in his hand. Officer Odom said, Amber, you need to see this. And when he opened it up for me to see, I said, Scott, are these toes? Today's case takes place on April 7th, 2008 in Greenville, South Carolina. On April 7th, 2008, as you heard in the beginning of the episode, a 911 call was placed by Sue Bostick. Inside the bag was obviously a very disturbing thing to find. Sue contacted the police, and as you could hear, she found the bag on her doorstep and a disturbing note under the windshield of her car. The note said, quote, Grace, this is your last warning. This is what happens to people who do not follow our instructions. Unlike them, they had protection and you left it. The next time this will be blank. Don't forget you have no way of protecting them and blank is giving you and blank to us, end quote. It then said, quote, email us with your answer at evans.john60 at yahoo.com by April 9th, 2008, end quote. And the reason I said blank in the opening part of the letter is because some of the words were blurred out. Detective Collis Flavel of the Greenville Police Department arrived at the scene. Two other officers had the bag open on one of the patrol cars, and none of the detectives had seen anything like it. The toes in the bag had been clipped clean off. The hands and feet appeared as if they had been surgically removed. There wasn't much blood in the bag, so it was clear that the crime scene had occurred somewhere else. The note was addressed to a woman named Grace Davis, and Sue Bostick was Grace's aunt. The police were excited that there was an email on the note because they could easily track the email, and the note was also sent to the lab for fingerprint testing, but more on that later. A second bag was eventually found at another house just a mile away. The second bag was also containing body parts. The second bag was found at the home of a woman named Judon Burnside. Judon was Grace Davis's mom. Sue and Judon were interviewed together. They said Grace had gotten into drugs and her kids had been taken away from her. They were asked if anything else unusual had happened in the past few days. Sue said she had received a phone call. Sue said the phone call sounded like someone was going to die and it was the voice of a female and the female was screaming into the phone until the line went dead. Grace's ex-husband became 
a person of interest. He was ordered to pay $400 a month in child support, and he was very unhappy about that. The police went to interview him. He did see some, seem surprised about the information he was getting about Grace. He had an alibi and had been with his new girlfriend. She had taken him to work, and the police verified that through his work records. He was eliminated as a suspect. The medical examiner contacted Detective Flavel with some results. The instrument that had been used was sharp, and the body parts had been cleanly cut off. The medical examiner was able to get a hit on the fingerprints, and the victim was identified as Nicole Harris, who was only 34 years old at the time. The police wanted to find out if she had any connection to Grace. The police went to notify Nicole's family. Nicole was a 34-year-old mother who had grown up a few towns over from Greenville. She was the youngest of seven children. Her son, in this episode, described her as a sweet and loving mother with a heart of gold. Nicole had fallen on hard times and had turned to drugs. Due to her being addicted to drugs, she didn't have custody of her kids at the time of her death. Nicole had been trying to get back on her feet and still see her kids as much as she could, and she was wanting to come back home. She was known to hang out at Labor Finders, a place to help find temporary jobs, but no one there seemed to know her that well. The police then received a phone call about Grace. She had been living with her cousin at the time. Grace had no idea that the bags of body parts had been left at the homes of her aunt and mom. She also didn't seem to have a connection to Nicole. Grace denied that she had any enemies and didn't know why she would be threatened. Nicole's family went on the news to ask for answers and asked for Nicole's body to be returned to them. After this, a call came into the police over in a nearby town. Someone had called in after smelling a horrible odor. The police could smell it as soon as they got out of their cars. It was described as the smell of death. Behind the residence, the police found a large storage container which contained flesh and blood. It was about 80% liquid. While the police were searching the home, the homeowner arrived at the house. She claimed that a pig was in the storage container, not a human. A forensic technician was called to the scene to determine what was in the storage container. It wasn't human, it was that of a pig, so she was correct. The police turned back to the email that had been found on the letter for Grace. The email was traced back to a computer used at a public library. The library had surveillance cameras, and the police were able to determine what time and what date the email had been accessed. On April 6th, a couple had been the ones to use the computer. The man was seen wearing gloves inside the library, which was odd, and on April 6th, they also wrote the letters. The police brought Grace back into the police station to ask her about the couple in the video. Grace said she knew the man and wife, but said she didn't talk to them anymore. She identified them as Clarence and Carmen Jenkins. Grace said they used to be a thruple. Grace said Clarence became very controlling. Clarence was also verbally abusive, and Grace said she knew she needed to leave the situation. She left their trailer on March 16, 2008, just weeks before the letters were sent. The police made an attempt to speak to Clarence and Carmen. Carmen told the police that they would speak later in the day to, to them at the police station. The police didn't take their word for it, so they had a team surveil the house. Just minutes after Detective Flavel left the Jenkins home, the surveillance team spotted Clarence and Carmen throwing black trash bags into a dumpster. The garbage bags had blue drawstrings, just like the bags containing the body parts. And inside the bags were three empty ble bleach bottles and carpet cleaning solution.
police knew that they needed to get inside that trailer. A warrant was put out for Clarence's arrest due to a traffic violation, so luckily the police were able to obtain a search warrant for the Jenkins' trailer. Carmen answered the door and, let, and claimed that Clarence was not at the trailer, but she agreed to let the police in. The trailer was described as absolutely disgusting. They had pots on the stove with fungus growing out of them, and the bathtub was filthy and looked like it had been spray-painted red. It was blood, and there was blood spatter on the walls. One of the detectives noticed that a piece of drywall had been out of alignment, and Clarence was found hiding and was arrested. The police were then granted a second search warrant because there were clear signs that a murder had taken place. A forensics team was called in to spray luminol, and the bathroom lit up. In the back bedroom, the police found handcuffs and several knives. There were swords found too, and a clipboard with typed letters addressed to Sue and Judon. Detective Flavel interviewed Clarence, but he didn't give them any information. One year after the body parts were found, Carmen decided she wanted to talk. Detective Flavel met with Carmen, her attorneys, and prosecutors. She was described as being very cold and had no emotion. Carmen said that Clarence had met Grace on the street and brought her home. Clarence had offered for Grace to move in with them and became sexually involved with both women. They had considered trying to get married, all three of them together, but things turned sour between Clarence and Grace, and Grace left in March 2008, and Clarence became furious. It was at Labor Finders that Clarence saw McCole Harris. He convinced her that he was a police officer and drove her to his trailer. Carmen said Clarence arrived home with McCole and had her in handcuffs. He then took her to the back bedroom. Clarence's plan was to use Nicole to make threats against Grace, and he made her make the phone call to Sue Bostick. Nicole then went off script, and Clarence had another idea. He told Carmen that she needed to kill Nicole. Clarence told Carmen to use a cable to strangle Nicole, but Carmen said she wasn't strong enough, so Clarence finished. They then drug her into the bathroom, and Clarence used a machete to cut off her hands and feet. He used garden shears to cut off Nicole's toes, he put the parts into two bags and wrote the letters. Carmen gave the police the location of where they dumped the rest of Miko's body. It was out in a vacant field. They had poured gas in on her and tried to burn it. Carmen showed no emotion during her confession, which I stated earlier. A forensics team and search dogs were taken out to the field. They did, an they did find a number of bones, and the garden shears were located and collected. Clarence Jenkins was convicted and sentenced to life without parole. Carmen was originally sentenced to 50 years, but with her confession, her sentence was reduced to 40 years. It's clear that Clarence and Carmen are cold people. They used Nicole, a woman they did not know, for their selfish purposes to taunt Grace. Nicole must have been terrified. When she didn't comply with Clarence's demands, they brutally killed and dismembered her. My heart breaks for Nicole's loved ones because she had been trying to turn her life around and didn't get the chance to reconnect with her family. My book recommendation for this week is The Bachelorette Party by Carissa Ann Lynch. The bride-to-be, the best friend, the cousin, the mother-in-law, the sister, the groom's friend. The Bachelorette begins on a Friday night. All six women are excited for a chance to escape their everyday lives. But then friend friendly rivalries turn vicious and a game of truth or dare turns deadly. By the end of the weekend, one of them will be dead. A bachelorette party that takes place in New Orleans. The bride-to-be isn't exactly thrilled. Her future in-laws don't like her, and not all of the women get along. 
Either someone has a secret or someone doesn't like another one of them. What could go wrong? I like this book and I like the characters too. And I give this book an 8 out of 10. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. I'd love to know what you think. Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, email me, buy me a coffee, and please leave me a five-star rating and review if you're enjoying this podcast. I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.